everyone. Welcome to the second ever bonus episode of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern. My name is Stanislav, here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the seasoned pyromancer, Shane Beeps. Stan, it's been too long. I'm glad to see you again to record the second bonus episode, my dude. Also with us here in Chicago, the soul herder, Dave Harbarger. I like the chance pretending we didn't just record another episode before this. Oh, how oh, did. dare you? I'm pulling the curtain back, guys. This is Dive Down After Dark Time. <laughs> bonus episodes. We're doing them after we do the main episodes. Yeah, making our partners mad at us bonus episodes. White equity blown. Market Gotta spend crashed. it somewhere. Yeah. You know, <laughs> It's it's got very low utility rate. You can't eat it. So <laughs> does that you measure things? Last but not least, it's the Frostwalk Bastion. Zach Colhan. I'm frosty. I'm chilly. I'm cold, but I'm hot for Modern Horizon. We said it last time, and we're gonna say it again. Huge thanks to the patrons in the Dive Down Nation for helping us reach the stretch goal that allows for bonus episodes. We appreciate. Oh, does it does it allow for it, or is it force our hands? It demands it. it demands With an iron it. fist, it slams and says, "Tonight you will be up very late, and you will record, and you will laugh." <laughs> Whether you're twisting our arm or politely voting on topics that we're thinking about, we appreciate every one of you and every one of our listeners every week. Yeah, and if you uh, are listening to this, you're not a patron, and you're into what we're doing, feel free to join the patron. You get to vote on what we're doing. You get to get some cool swag. Uh, Patreon.com slash the dive down. And if you'd like to support us a different way, you can go to manitraders.com and enter code the dive down when you try out their excellent MTGO and paper rental service to get 10% off your first three months of rentals. So this week, we thought it'd be fun to revisit our Modern Horizons grades from episodes 24 and 25. And look at what we got right, maybe some areas where we fell a bit short, and maybe thought some cards weren't that good, and they turned out being pretty okay. The impact of Modern Horizons has been really significant, and like I just said, not in the ways that we'd expected. So there are some definite clear sleeps in Modern Horizons, Urza, Force Negation, and the lands, the Horizon lands as we call them. But a lot of cards have had a really big impact and have made really huge waves. And there are things that we just kind of overlooked or thought that really wouldn't show up anywhere. Yeah. And so it's fun to laugh about where we messed up, right? But it's, I think it's more interesting to do this in order to improve everyone's card eva- evaluation skills, right? So, I mean, this is this is Dive Down After Dark. So we're more interested in laughter than, than homework. Yeah, but uh, sure. And it's a good way for us to take a look at the format on the whole right now, look at why certain cards are maybe more or less successful than people may have expected from Horizons. Um, you know, of course, with this as a bonus episode, we don't have a breakdown, we don't have a wind down. We're just going to give you as much content about Horizons as we can in the time we have allotted for this. So, you know, let's you want to get into this, guys. You ready? Yep. So, Dave, you messed up at A, which is off the bat. You made a pretty big whiff. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I got an F and on A, basically. <laughs> so the first card we're going to talk about today is Arkham's Astrolabe, which uh, is a snow artifact, and it costs a single snow mana. Un snow. Un snow. And here's what the text reads. It says, when Arkham's Astrolabe enters the battlefield, draw a card. One, generic, tap, Add one mana of any color. Seems okay. Seems fine. Yeah. 
it does seem fine. Uh, turns out it's better than fine. Yeah, it looks pretty broken to me, actually. Turns out it got banned today, <laughs> today in Popper, actually. <laughs> uh, didn't see that coming. Forgot that Modern Horizons cars were were uh, available for Popper to use, too, but that, not that that's our... We're going to get that on the, the Popper down later. Um, Paw Patrol. The Popper Patrol. So, look... I think that personally, I think this is the card that I misevaluated the most on this on the spoiler set list. As part of the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's it's crazy the effects that this card has had on multiple different formats. In modern, it's led to a, a number of different decks being able to not worry about mana quite as much as they were before. Their mana fixing. It's it's made it a little easier for certain styles of decks and types of decks to get around Zach's favorite card, Blood Moon. How dare for you example, steal my bed? How dare I you? Know. I'm really sorry about it. And it's even enabled, uh, been a huge part of like enabling the egg style strategy in Urza. I think when you really look at it, the thing that we really, or I really messed up personally, because some of my co-hosts were a little bit more positive in this card than I was, is that I ignored one of my cardinal rules of modern card evaluation, which is recognizing the massive gap between something that costs two CMC and something that costs, and the same card costing one CMC. Yeah. We all know that Lightning Strike isn't playable in modern, right? Uh, but Lightning yeah. Bolt is a staple. Ooh, and, yeah. And, and that's really the difference between Prophetic Prism and Arkham's Astrolabe is just that one CMC makes it a totally playable, staple, and somewhat abusable card. And uh, boy, do I feel bad about missing this one because I really, if I had just kind of followed some of the heuristics that we, that we've written as a group, I think that I would have done better nailing it. For me, I knew this card was playable in Scred. And I <laughs> literally, I saw this card, I went, oh my goodness, Scred has like the one drop it needed. Like Mind Snow can filter mana, it's opened so many different gates. And it did to a degree where Scred began having like every other week 5-0 dump show ups. And that was fun, and that was cool for me. But then, like Dave said, it just allowed Sunbex to go, oh, hey, by the way, I have perfect mana all the time, and like I don't care about Blood Moon, because that red's actually going to be green-green for me on my turn. So what I saw as potential for my Tier 3 deck to get a little more competitive actually turned out to create a new Tier 0 in Modern. And I, for one, love Urza and hope my family is safe. I mean, this thing's, it's, like, it's a one-mana card that replaces itself. It's an artifact. And it fixes your mana. Like, how did we miss this, right? I called it an egg but better, but I guess I didn't realize what that could mean on a much better scale. I think we didn't know where it went. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, but did it? does it need a home? It's just a cheap artifact that replaces itself. It's it snow, mana. and I think snow was previously caught up in this sort of, like, mythos that, like, Scrud was the only snow deck and snow was too hard. But we've seen with Prismatic Vista, especially, allowing people yes. to fetch for snow lands easier. There are some yes. decks that run this that also only run basics. So you have this card fixing your mana and your land just kind of impervious to hate. So Blood Moon is pushed back on two fronts. I'm not yeah. crying. You're crying. Brutal. My review of this card really cracks me up. Wherein I was <laughs> a believe minus and I wrote that this is the type of card I'd defer to Zach to evaluate, which couldn't even trust him there. Oh, come on. I said sleeve. <laughs> I did. I, you know, I did account for a couple of things that it replaces itself and that it's a relevant permanent type. But I didn't think it would ultimately get there because when I read this card, I thought it gets you down on mana. And the one little caveat was that maybe the right deck won't care about that, that mana disadvantage. 
But it turns out that none of the decks really care about that, since the mana fixing isn't actually a mana disadvantage, not only because it replaces itself, but also because it basically serves the purpose of making one of your any other lands a five-color land. So I think this is a good reminder to think a play pattern through as well as appreciating a cantrip when evaluating certain cards that might seem kind of tricky at first. Yeah, and I think the last bow I would tie on this is any card that is one mana cost that says draw a card on it, you should stop and take a look at. Exactly. When it comes to modern, there's probably a home. All right, let's talk about probably... Card number two. I think our I think our overall biggest whiff is our As a next team? card. Okay. Yeah, Aria of Flame. Dave, again, you mess up. Two in a red did. enchantment. It reads, when Aria of Flame enters the battlefield, each opponent gains 10 life. Oh, no, gains 10 life. That stinks. That That's half your life total. That's so much. But whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you put a verse counter on Aria of Flame. It's got a little music note on it, a little harp. That, then it deals damage equal to the number of verse counters on it to target player or planeswalker. So we gave this three heaves and a believe question mark from our, our Zach because he believed there is some jank there. I, yes, I, once, I called this card believable jank, which is, I think, technically not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I think I think what we really thought was that like casting the spells you needed to after casting this was just going to be nonsense. But at least I personally forgot just how good all these fast modern spells can be with their cantripping, with the direct burn in addition to them. You're just peeling through the deck and finishing people off when you play this card. I'm going to quote Dave to Dave right now. It's like I forgot blue cards existed. Hmm. Yes, that, that's how I feel about it now. Is It's like I forgot Serum Visions and Opt existed. <laughs> what about Desperate Ritual? What about Pyretic Ritual? What about them? They also exist. <laughs> no, are we just naming magic cards? Well, they trigger Aria Flame. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out they didn't matter too much with this with this particular card in the home that it ended up in. Maybe someday. But uh, yeah. I think for me, what we should have done was the math in terms of how many spells it takes to win off of this. Because we did, though. Yeah, I was like, I was like, we were like four spells. No, that seems we, we did. It was like four spells to break even. Four spells is way too many to break even. Like, I'm sure right now someone's like making a cut right now where they're playing that audio right here, going, "Oh, the boys are wrong again." I think in hindsight, you're right, Stan. Where it's like it almost seems like we didn't because it's so easy yeah. to imagine cat like peeling through four spells in your deck. But it's like, oh, I just took turn three off. What next? I'm gonna cast four spells. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do that all the time. Yeah. So it's not that we didn't do the math. I think we didn't. We collectively ignored how powerful it is to play spells that progress this card and draw you more cards as you play them. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like, yeah, I'm going to cast these four spells and Arya, and also I'm going to get three Arclight Phoenixes back and also flip a TT, and then we're right. going to just do like 40 damage to you. Everything I'm doing is on plan right now. Well, I still see this card come out of Storm sideboards, and I'm fully right. in the camp of when Storm plays this against me, I am scared. Because as soon as Storm plays this against me, and now that I understand how easy it is to just chain spells for days, it feels like if I don't win in a turn or two, I'm pooped. Right. And that's where those rituals come in handy, David. 
Oh yeah, I forgot about the where where Stan was going with that. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about how we whiffed on it in Phoenix, but it's definitely still around in Storm. And you know what? I bet there's another deck someday in the future that this card someday, is the main win con main somehow, board. But we'll see. Make it all right. I'm glad I don't know what that is. Yeah, that sounded like Pearl Jam. I don't know. So here's a card. I love cards. Red and six. I don't love that card though. Oh no, I don't love that card. What's well, not to love? It's just a red and a green for a three loyalty planeswalker. It's got plus one return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand. Minus one red and six deals only one damage to any target. I mean, that's like it's less than two. Finally, minus seven, you get an emblem with instant or sorcery cards in your graveyard. Have retrace, meaning you may cast instant and sorcery cards from your graveyard by discarding a land in addition to playing their other costs. So none of us hated this card. Yeah. Right, we, we all gave it believes and sleeves, but I think we need to talk a little bit about why the reviews we had for it were kind of tepid. Like it was very just kind of like, eh, this card is cool. It's two mana. Okay. Um, because considering that this is the most expensive card in Modern Horizons now, and, and um, you know, our reviews sounded like, I think this does enough at a cheap cost to see play. It, it, the minus tags mana dorks the plus gets back interesting lands yeah it might not do enough in the it, end it feels like we all were really hedging our me. bets on this one I, yeah exactly. i wasn't i wasn't Don't gonna say who said that you, you can get the summation of me on here but do not directly quote my words mine says i think it's a maybe cheap value cool and Stan's <laughs> says, as I've said, I like the prospects for RG Assault Loam. Yeah, because Stan was standing <laughs> Assault Loam so time, hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I gave it a sleeve at least. At least I gave it a sleeve. Yeah. You did. <laughs> no, I mean, I mm. did too. And, and what's funny is like I even identified what it's doing. Like, yeah, it's like it's, Humble it's, brag, killing, but okay. it's killing cheap things. It's getting back interesting lands. But like it might not do enough. I mean, if if I thought, if I really looked at that, I could have been, oh, it's a two-mana Planeswalker that gets out of bolt range. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Do you think that this card revitalized Jund by itself? Mm, I think no. there's a strong case for it. I think that Renin 6 is not the base of the mountain, but a good mid-body for Jund. Not the peak. We talked about how in our Jund episode, even I think how there's like there were like six new cards added to Jund from Horizon. Like engineer, just, just one of them. But how many are season there? Pyromancer, collecting yeah. oof, all of them. Well, season season Pyromancer isn't necessarily. Yeah, I mean it's just an option. But I think Red and Six is so strong that assuming, or let's say for instance, none of those other cards were in the set. It still would have been a shoo-in yep. for Jund and, and probably still would have had a really big impact on that deck. Obviously, probably. we can't really predict that in a vacuum, but I don't know. Try a Jund deck without any of the other Modern Horizons cards, and I think you'll be pretty impressed with what Renin 6 can do in this format. It definitely took a few games of me having an opponent play this on turn two, then get back a fetch land repeatedly for me to realize how good this was. And then my opponent would have perfect mana. And then could play something like Scavenging Ooze and be able to activate it three times the turn they play it because they have perfect mana when they play it. I'm not upset. Yeah, I, I think it's mostly in that it turned out to be, I'm going to use this to draw cards. And I mean, a lot of people say this is like the fixed Deathrite Shaman. Sure, I'll believe that. For modern, and I, I guess it kind of fits in that role in a, in a lot of ways. So I, I kind of get it. I mean, the other thing that's been really interesting for me with Red and Six is just people trying to jam it in other decks, not just Junt. You know, like there's Teamer Planeswalkers and and uh, then the, you know, we talk about a Naya Stoneblade deck in a recent episode and it's like, that was in there too. It's really, it's really wild. So sorry about that one. 
if I were to put a bow on this card, and, and I think the failure I made, is that when evaluating Modern Horizons, I didn't really consider powerful strategies that had been outclassed in the past. Mm-hmm. And consider the fact that they can have resurgence again in the future. So the impact of this card on Jund was lost on me, perhaps on some level because I don't play Jund or Rock, but also because at the time I kind of just assumed Rock had become the de facto black-green X mid-range strategy and sort of just assumed that was going to be the case moving forward. I had a similar thought when Stoneforge Mystic was unbanned and Jeskai started popping up again there, including the highest levels of play, and ultimately seeing Ren and Six's impact on the format and that deck is kind of a future reminder to me to look at the old sometimes instead of immediately considering the new. So a card that we were maybe a little excited for that failed to pan out, at least at this current point in time, which is October 21st, 2019, Merit Lead December, which is one in a blue, Legendary Snow Enchantment. Whenever it or another snow permanent enters the battlefield under your control, why don't you scry one? At the beginning of your Good. upkeep, if you control 10 or more snow permanents, you sacrifice Merit Lage to slumber. Then if you do, you create Merit Lage, a legendary 2020 black avatar creature token with flying and indestructible. That's a that's a big token. And you can't destroy it, apparently. We all give this card believes, but it's not showing up anywhere. And there are Bant or blue-based snow decks that are showing up and putting up results, but they're not running this card. So I think maybe we were a little optimistic or bright-eyed about what this card could do. And maybe a 10 permanents is just too many. And honestly, even if your deck is dedicated to doing that, it's hard to do that by turn three consistently and even four. And when you're doing that, you're running sort of stranger offbeat cards because they're snow. So I think just sort of right now, maybe there's not the snow payoff and we thought there would be, but this card just isn't where it needs to be at the current moment. Yeah, I think that's the real point, right? Is like you look at this card and you're like, well... 10 sounds reasonable. I made a send, you know, when I was playing limited and that seemed reasonable, but I think there's just not enough high, there's not a high enough concentration of snow permanence that can really make a real deck around this card yet. And I think that's kind of, when you see an enabler like this or a payoff rather like this, you kind of get a little starry eyed and you're like, okay, like this, this seems like a, a cool combo-y type finish or a cool payoff for my snow deck, but then you're like, well, what's in my snow deck? Yeah, exactly. Coatles and lands and Arkham's Astrolabe, and even that's not enough. Right. Well, the whole thing is because you can't get them out fast enough for this to be truly outrageous. Like, this has to be out of, what, on probably turn two or three to be absolutely wild, and turn four, like I said, is, like, not that easy to do consistently. You know, part of it for me is... That I don't think it's the lack of snow permanence we're missing per se, but a lack of a cheap, effective way to make copies of snow permanence liberally. So, mm. so if there was a cheap way to make extra astrolabes or to make extra snakes or to make extra lands basically out of nothing and, you know, kind of two for one for yourself, right? I think this could have some legs there. The other question I want to ask you guys in a format with Oko the Loco. Is a 2020 indestructible even that good? Threat level Oko. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't have haste. Exactly. Yep. Right. Right. And so the so you know, Dark Death still seems see some play in eternal formats and legacy and stuff Not like that. Not this one though. Right. But I, I don't mean I just mean that there I think that the, that's because there are ways to protect it with your when your shields are down through force of will and stuff like that to make sure that you get the attack in. 
or um, you know other other things. I'm not an expert in that deck. So a 2020 is good enough to be a win condition in Legacy. So maybe it's got some moments in Modern, but also the protection is better in Legacy than it is in Modern. Right. So maybe it's not the right fit for a uh, for a combo win condition in in Modern as a con- out of a control deck, which is essentially what this is. It's like whatever you're trying, any deck you're trying to get to ten of a type of permanence on the board is probably some kind of control deck. So yeah, I mean maybe in the future if we see mo- more snow support. We see more ways to build snow decks around this card. It might have a future, but for now, it's just uh, not doing what we thought it would do, which would be kind of an interesting interesting deck to, to build and test with. Next up, we have Sling Gang Lieutenant. I'm guessing that Zach is wishing he had saved himself for this one rather than talking about Merit Lage's Slumber. Sling Gang Lieutenant, three and a black. Creature goblin with no job. Get a job. No profession. No, no. What a neat. No vocation. (laughs) No career. No prospects. Just sitting there. Just being a goblin. I thought that his job was lieutenant. When Sling Gang Lieutenant enters the battlefield, you create two 1-1 red goblin creature tokens. You can sacrifice a goblin and target player loses one life. You gain one life. So I'm just going to pass this one over to Zach because he's, he's the goblin boy. So everyone but Stan was a heave on this. Even me. I was a heave on this. So what I did mention was that a future card might be able to break this open, which I feel like I should have then had to be a believe, and maybe I didn't fully understand the system at the time, and maybe I'm just a big dum-dum, but who knows? But it did happen. It happened immediately. Black Red Goblins was a deck out of the gate right away, and it featured this card. I think recognizing the power of a free sack ability when I first saw this card is what led me to give it a higher grade than you guys. Yeah, and we actually talked about that in in regards to Ultra Dementia. Exactly. Too, right. In the same set review. Yep, so yep. I feel a little bad Literal that, that cards I didn't later. stick to that. Right. At the same time, I mean, I was too narrow-minded about viable Goblin strategies for this as well because I wrote that it could go into 8-Whack as a new type of finisher and at the time i was sort of considering that tribes generally coalesce around the best strategy available to them and it turned out that there's just enough goblins that you can have multiple tribal strategy yeah i think this is something that's really difficult for cards when evaluating them looking at new sets is it's easy to look at decks that exist and things that are already real and figure where can slot in but it's hard to imagine what does a two color goblin deck look like that isn't an aggro beatdown plan what does more of a grindy mid-range or combo goblin deck look like and you have no idea right so i feel like it was definitely a faux pas on my part not to realize that a free sack outlet like i mentioned in the grum gully episode is very good and very powerful but it's hard to guess if a card like this will find a home eventually because cards like this can have these sort of powerful, you know, body creating sack outlet effects and actually not find a home in it. I think what it really gets at is like how synergy can make a card playable more than just kind of like overt power level. So when you're looking through this set, you're looking at something like Urza and you're like, duh, this is, this is, this Mm -hmm. is busted. This is a sleeve. Seems good. But you overlook a card like this because you have to sort of create, craft that home for it. And if you're not, you know, an expert level brewer, like the guys on Faithless Brewing or something like that, you know, you might say, this card seems fine. Like, like we did, right? Like, you know, more or less we said, it's okay. You know, actually we we said it was a he because we didn't identify the home for it. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was limited trash. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a four four mana good way to kill somebody in your goblins draft deck. Yeah, so you, yes, you hate it 
<laughs> I say maybe one day it can be used. Stan says one day, but soon. So we have the full range of questionable takes on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely thought it was good and limited. I, when I say limited trash, I <laughs> mean, it's listen, only listen. good in draft. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly an awesome card in draft. My apologies, but, yeah. I misspoke. Yeah. Giver Runes. Giver Runes is one, one white for a 1-2, and it's a core, and you can tap it to give another creature protection from any color or colorless. Nice. Until end of turn. I've definitely lost the game because of the colorless part. I, mean, I brought a walking ballista and tried to ping something, and they went, okay, give her of runes. And I was like, no, no, I gotcha. And they went, no, you don't. And it was no. um, it was a bad moment. Yes. Can't you take off another counter on the ballista in response to the Well, not if runes you play ability? it for one, because you think you're a galaxy brain boy, and you're going to blow him out of the water, and instead you just decided to go 0-3 that night. It's also a 1-2, so... <laughs> That wouldn't have killed it any. This is the other card. The other card. Anyway, so I mean, I, what I really yeah, wanted it. to talk about for this card is how we we pretty much got it right, I think, because three of us believed in the card, and again, Zach was the sleever. I stand alone in my truth. I think we all knew the effect would be like a powerful thing, not necessarily a, a four of staple. I think it's kind of like sneakily present in modern. Maybe not sneakily, but it's present in modern. You know, there's in a recent deck up, it was at seven different decks, right? Like I wouldn't have actually guessed that. So is this something that we correctly identified as like, you know, three believers in a sleeve? Is this something that we that we should have given a sleeve? Like, should we have like, how do you what do you when you think of giver of runes? What do you think about the card? I mean, for me, I've played it in a couple of different decks. I, I feel like it's fine. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't feel like it's necessary or all that powerful, honestly. And maybe it's just because I'm kind of like, I feel like it doesn't do too much as a turn one play and I'd rather be attacking. But then on the other hand, occasionally I, I get to protect something with it. I actually don't think I've ever had to tap it. Like when I have it on the board, I I think that nobody's ever tried to cast removal spells as a result or they decide to kill the giver and then I don't get a chance to use it on anything. So I don't know. It hasn't been great for me, but I definitely can tell that it's, a powerful card still yeah i mean my my main thing is like it's not something that you start your deck with do you know what i mean like you don't yeah, say mm-hmm. you don't say i'm gonna build a giver of runes deck it's like it's like a it's like yeah, a, it's a, a fine card. utility card in like white based creature decks and and i i think that's what makes it so good even as a lightning rod is what dave is alluding to because let's say you cast your turn one giver and someone cast bolt or push or path whatever that's a removal spell that they didn't get to use on whatever other important creatures you have in your deck that are so important that you're motivated to play giver. So in some, I don't know, in some play patterns, it's almost giving your creatures that protection ability even while it's in the graveyard. Yeah, but I got to tell you, this card is kind of a bad top deck, right? Like if it's turn four and I pull one off the top, it's almost always not the card that I want. It's just kind of, it's kind of slow. I mean, it's even slow, like you said, but if you top deck it, if you like, you have to hope to untap with it to do anything with it. I mean, I've definitely got, I've definitely got some value from it in long games. Like a couple of them is kind of cool. They can protect each other while like protecting other creatures on the board. It can create some annoying board states for your opponent and help you get uh, damage through that you couldn't get through otherwise. But I don't think it's something, it's one of those things I just think we got right. And I think that it's just one of those cards that it's around. It's going to be there. It's the kind of card that I think more parts of Modern Horizons probably should have been 
or maybe we could have hoped would have been, where it's like they're not blowing things wide open. They're just nice additions to the format. Season Pyromancer is a card I would yes, put in that exactly, bucket, exactly. by the way. That's, a, that's what popped in mind immediately. Up next, we've got Soul Herder. One white-blue for a 1-1 one, one creature spirit. Whenever a creature is exiled from the battlefield, put a 1-1 one, one counter on Soul Herder. And at the beginning of your end step, you may exile another target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Was I the most positive about this card? Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't even remember what I rated it. I, I might have just left it blank. I called it against the odds tier. You just you just had a funny comment. It just said, playing Soul Herder in modern... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that could be a reference That's what I put. No, that was Zach. You said you said Zach. seems okay, not crazy good. Uh, I called it a B minus against the odds tier, and Stan thought it was dope. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Look, yeah, bro. The card is strong. <laughs> Clearly, it's very narrow, and I've heard that it even sees play in spirits sometimes too. Not to mention the banned soul herder deck that it lends its name to. I think that the fact that the effect happens every turn, coupled with all the strong ETBs available to you in Modern, it ends up being a potent threat, and that's why it turned out to be at least playable in the absolute right shells. Again, almost like Giver of Ruins, this isn't just a card you you slam into like other decks. It is a build-around in and of itself. I mean, is this a real deck? I think so. I don't really get yeah. this deck. I don't think Gabe Nassif would spend that much time playing it if it wasn't a real deck. But is this like the is this the real <laughs> engine card? Like, does this is this really? You dare doubt Gabe? Is this the build around? So I have played the Soul Herder deck, and against me, yeah. And and my takeaway was that it's just like a very good finisher in that deck because what happens me. is Soul Herder ends up being a five five, and then very quickly it's a six six, and then sometimes in the same turn it suddenly becomes an 8-8 because you're coupling it with Ephemerate as well as its own ability, maybe even other Soul Herders. So you have all these synergies within the deck that makes it so strong, but it has to be in the right deck because otherwise it's just a three-mana 1-1 that you're not getting any value out of and it sits there doing nothing. Yeah, this, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's a legit deck like today, but it certainly was a month ago. Like when it was all over Magic Online, like I'm not, I'm not sure if the metagame has shifted to a point where you can't, where it's not as good. But I lost to it plenty of times yeah. and saw it do things like have three ten ten soul herders on the board at the same time, and that's um, that's tough to tangle with. The very first time I lost to it, I was like literally reliving flashbacks to record the episode, be going like. Yes, it's skippable. Or we don't need to cover it. It's whatever. And just like in black and white in my brain, like no. No, no, as I got beat down by a bunch of 2020s. The other thing I would say is that this card is, is one that has a lot of chance to improve over yep. time because mm-hmm. the, High the ceiling. thing that it does is very simple. Mm-hmm. And so every time they print a card with a good comes into play effect, you're going to be like, can I pair that with Soul Herder and Modern and kind of like do it every turn? Will that be good? So moving from a card that we were a little unsure of that ended up being playable, we're going to talk about a card that we thought was a shoe in that ended up being, I'll get to the sidelines, and it's Flusterstorm. One blue for an instant, counter-target instant sorcery spell, unless its controller pays one generic mana. Then it has this thing called Storm. Never heard of where it. Whenever, yeah, when you cast the spell, copy it for each spell cast for it this turn. You can choose new targets for the copies. So what this turns into is a counterspell that 
is really good in Counterspell Wars, is good at stopping Storm decks, is good in Storm decks, etc. And we thought this is going to be just really good in Modern, right? Like we said, it's one mana, it fits in a lot of different places, it's a really good utility spell, but it's nowhere. Yeah, I mean, we gave it a few sleeves. Um, I pre-ordered two as soon as I saw it spoiled as the buy a box. You know, it, this card is just basically never really seen play. I think there's just not enough decks that put a ton of spells on the stack, right? I mean, besides Storm, I think Spell Pierce, which is in modern itself just a useful but not you know ubiquitous counter spell is just going to be better most of the time because it makes them pay too generic i think it's tough like there are i think there are actually a lot of there are a lot of decks that cast a lot of spells right there's just not maybe that many decks that you really care about getting the last spell on the stack off against it so like if you imagine playing against urza for example and urza's like i'm gonna play four zero casting cost artifacts and arkham's astrolabe this turn then i'm gonna try to cast paradoxical outcome and you're like flusterstorm you know they don't want to lose paradoxical outcome but at the same time you probably could have had a different counter spell that was more effective in that situation so you know, Mono Red Prowess is the same thing, for example. Like, not that that deck is as hot now as it was a couple months ago, but you'll cast four or five spells in a turn. But, like, what spell do you want to counter with, yeah. with this? So it really comes down to you want this as a safety valve for decks that try to storm off so that you can have an anti-storm storm card. And then that gets really yeah, weird. Yeah, you just don't play to the stack like you do in Legacy, where Fluster Storm is very useful. So I hear you guys talking about using this against Storm. But to me, to this day, I mostly see it as a, another card that can be played in Storm to improve some of its mid-range and control matchups. And for instance, over the weekend, I was playing against Storm and they cast Mystical Dispute against one of my spells. And I feel like that could be Flusterstorm and have the same effect for less mana. It could be. I mean, Mystical Dispute is good because it can target creatures, too though and that's the other thing about flusterstorm right is that you need to bring it in against something that's cast targeting instant or sorcery and so it gets a little bit back to what shane was saying which is just like you don't play on the stack as much in modern as you do in legacy so i think it's it's tough because it's this crossroad between negate and spell pierce and force and negation are good and then mystical dispute and other things like that are good because they add and mana leak say for example are kind of like good because they also nab creature spells but this thing that's like a surgical targeted on instance and sorceries is just kind of like too narrow i guess what a world where counter spell is too good but fluster storm isn't good enough it's weird it's just not the right fit like maybe someday there'll be something i think it's important to have as a safety valve yeah i think maybe one of the takeaways for me is that even though we can't play with og counterspell the counters in modern are pretty excellent and you have so many to choose from that have so many different very relevant and realistic outlets that you don't necessarily need to jam something like flusterstorm because you have access to all these other options that might interact with the format or the meta much more effective force the negation in the set free kind of all right next up this card yeah next up we have a uh, crashing footfalls strangely there's no casting cost there's only wait suspend it's four symbols there at all suspend it's, four it's blink for a green so suspend is rather than cast this card from your hand you just pay a green 
You exile it with four time counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove a time counter. When the last is removed, you cast it without paying its mana cost, which is funny because it has no mana cost. So what then what it does is it creates two four four green rhino creature tokens with trample. Alright, so we thought this would be interesting if we cast it for free, right? I think that that's something we a number of us mentioned. Casting a suspend card for free can be good enough for something to see play, right? And I think at least I overlooked that there were more ways to cast those suspend cards for free uh, than I anticipated. So, you know, that free, that free, the free nature, the free casting of crashing footfalls has made it at least playable, like in a fringe type strategy to exist. And I think that uh, we just kind of forgot about that, 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 you know, method of casting this was there and it didn't have to be like rhinos attacking on turn six. Right. Yeah. I sort of see it as a failure to recognize the ceiling on this card. Yeah. And likewise, right. not really considering some existing synergies that were already in modern, such as one that I always hate when it's cast against me is finale of promise targeting this. And, and all of a sudden, <laughs> opponent truth. casts two spells and made four, four, four trampling. Seems good. So I worried that this was like a meme card. I think, and it turned out to be one of the best payoffs for the As Foretold Electrodominance core. And uh, that is a surprise because I kind of thought Restore Balance would be the best. Yeah, I think, honestly, the creature type being a 4-4, which is kind of weird, and Rhino, which is like not a supported tribe or barely recognized in Magic, it sort of feels a little goofy, right? It feels a little time spirally and like, oh, this is some reference to a card I don't understand. Let's move on and continue it. But like Shane said, there are all these ways to activate it. It's like Cascade is okay. Like you can have a living end deck with this in it, and it's not a bad card in that deck as long as you plan it right and build the deck in the right way. And just sort of, I think we were for this one, like Stan said, didn't recognize the ceiling and a little too narrow minded in order to focus in on the really raw power of this card. Yeah, we focused on the floor and not the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. Like Stan, mm-hmm. like exactly. Stan said. And I think that you know that's a flaw when. You, when you know, we're here, we want to not be necessarily wrong. We want to f- kind of be critical rather than kind of put our brewer hats on. And sometimes it pays to wear that hat. You know, it's a funny looking hat sometimes, but gets the job done. They don't make it in my size. Do they have it in seven and five eights? That's my, that's my hat size too, Dave. <laughs> that's my hat size too. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. I don't talk about my hat size. <laughs> four. What kind of people four? know their hat size? You buy, buy that sick fitted, bro. You never, you never bought yourself a fine hat. You've never like waited for a drop at like four a.m. for like a Japanese website to drop the hat in the size you need that you bought with your parents' credit card because your mom was asleep. You never had a fifty-nine fifty. My answer Come to on. all of your questions is no. <laughs> <laughs> you sound a little upset. <laughs> Stan wears elastic snapbacks. I had the unfortunate experience of going into a Goran Brothers one time and coming out a thousand dollars in debt with fifteen hats and not what are you even talking about? Craft, right? craft and not quite understanding my, my new lifestyle. The thing is I only wear Stanzo brand hats. They're nice. <laughs> oh, good they are nice. They're that's nice. A, that's a good one. You gotta buy all of them where it's not really worth it for me. <laughs> All right, the next card we're going to talk about is Tribute Mage, which was two and a blue for some power and toughness. I don't even remember what its stats are. Who cares? It's a one-two. That's important. It's a one-two. Okay. It's a human wizard. 
When Tribute Mage enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost 2. Reveal that card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So this, this is the card that everybody thought had a chance to be used to sort, uh, search up pieces of the Thopter Sword uh, combo. And this, this was us seeing the ceiling. Yes. Well, I think we also saw the ceiling and we, and we also didn't see that there were better tools that did the same thing. Yeah. Or more versatile tools that did the same thing. You know, the, we let the picture, the actual picture, uh, kind of deceive us a little bit because it does have a picture of someone holding Sword of Meek. Um, but turns out, since Goblin Engineer is in this set, it has more synergy with the deck that ended up wanting to play Goblin Engineer, which is Wurza. So yeah, we were all believers on this card, right? But I was like a hard sleeve on it. Like I thought it was going to be a, a major player, like in a sort of the Meek combo deck, because like you said, it just it just looks designed to tutor that up. And and I think you mentioned in your reviews, like it, it tutors up all sorts of other potential utility cards uh, for the value as yeah. well. This card is just straight up nowhere. Yeah, and even in the art, it's holding the sword of the meek. Like you mentioned right. in the review, Shane, it's just they couldn't be more on the nose about what this card is for. But it was just outclassed sort of in the decks that wanted it by Goblin Engine because you could get the sword because you wanted it in the graveyard to trigger the combo, right? So you can tear it up, but as a failsafe, you can get other cards too, and it has utility beyond the turn comes into play where you can keep moving cards around and have this added bonus. So sort of... I, I think that maybe it could see play eventually and that it does have a lot of raw power, but where we envisioned it, there was just a better contender and it wasn't going to be played there. I don't really have much else to add. Maybe this is a card we can lean back on if a very powerful two mana artifact gets printed that you want to tutor up. and In a mono blue deck. That you want to play main deck even. Yeah. I guess yeah. blue Tron, here we yeah, go. Yeah, You know how decks like this are tutoring up cards by putting them in their graveyard off of their Emery's. Hmm. Yes. Oh, now now it's even worse, right? Now they're right. playing Goblin, Emery for yeah. sure. Goblin Engineer has been replaced by Emery, literally instantly. Next card was a consolation prize for all the blue mages that couldn't get original counterspell, even though we wanted it. And that is Archmage's Charm. Blue, blue, blue. Three modes, counter target spell, or target player draws two cards, or gain control or. of target non-land permanent with CMC one or less. I think the big thing here is that, you know, I gave it a sleeve, Stan gave it a sleeve. It's in one deck. I mean, I think Stan's assessment was better than than mine in the sense that I thought it was going to be played in a lot of decks. Um, but I've, you know, I've never even cast one of these as it turned out. And I, I don't think there's that many decks that are able to run this and Cryptic Command. And so I just end up running Cryptic Command in the decks that I play. Dave, wasn't this card responsible for one of your worst specs from Modern Horizons? Well, I mean, I didn't spec. I just I bought it. I pre, pre-ordered it for myself. But I did pay like, what, $10 a piece for mm. these or something like that, and they're only 2 bucks or well, I don't remember what the pre-order price was. But, I mean, I think I just thought that, that this would replace Hieroglyphic Illumination in some of the decks that were running that, just to have an extra counter spell, an extra modal that draws two cards. And it turns out that that... At the time, people weren't running that anymore. And then with the unbanning of Stoneforge Mystic, there isn't even room in the blue-white decks anymore to be able to run Hieroglyphic Illumination anyway. So still pretty interesting, I think. So I think that, you know, I was too optimistic about it fitting in a lot of decks. And I know that Shane kind of was down on it anyway, so... So yeah, I mean, I feel pretty vindicated in my assessment, right? So like the triple blue is just super brutal for anything. It's not just obscenely blue, like 22 blue sources blue, if you want to be casting it on turn three. I mean, like, of course you can cast it after turn three, but it's kind of like off the power level 
of the card. Like the individual components of the card are kind of below rate already, but casting it later than turn three, like maybe it's going to be useful, but broadly you want to be casting your cards on curve, right? So your blue-white control runs something like high teens for the blue sources. So unless you're something like Blue Moon, and I know Stan loves that deck, but you're not really running this this card very often. So we touched on this very briefly in a previous episode, and I think the tricky thing for blue-white are all the Field of Ruins, which is what makes it so hard to do it on turn three. And you don't really always have very clean mana early on when, let's say, you want to cast this on curve. Yeah, I mean, that being said, in my review, I specifically called out that this card is going into Blue Moon, or at the very least was very testable in Blue Moon. And like Shane, I too feel vindicated. So can I ask, do you think that basically that this card could go in any blue deck that is running a ton of blue and wants counter spells, basically? Like, is that the only bar? Like, is it powerful enough for modern and it's just that you need to be able to cast it reliably or? I think it needs to be in a control shell where you're keeping mana up. And I think it needs to be in a deck where you want to, where you used to hold up Cryptic Command and Illumination. And now you just combine that on one card. Yeah. Because I noticed that like the Pen Sword, you know, he posted a list the other day and I think it was three Cryptics and two Archmage Charms or, th- or three and three or something like that. So definitely loading up on these like modal counter spells is something that that deck has decided to do. And maybe it's just any blue base control deck. That's where you're going. Yeah, I mean, ultimately it needs to have a high blue count. I don't think it can run Field of Ruin. Yeah. Moving on, we have Planebound Accomplice, two in a red, Creature Human Wizard. Activated ability for a single red. You may put a Planeswalker card from your hand onto the battlefield, then sacrifice at the beginning of the next end step. So we were pretty hot on this card for the most part. We thought that it would allow some sort of shenanigans or open up some combo in modern, and it hasn't done that yet. I think it has potential to. I think my belief is correct, and that this is something that is definitely believable and can one day do something. But right now, there's just not a walker that's worth putting all these resources into to get one activation. Even something like Chandra, you know, Awakened Inferno, a card I'm really hyped on, you don't want to play her and then only get one tick. The whole thing is she's going to stick around ideally and provide a lot of incremental value. Yeah, even in like the Sahili combo deck where you think okay maybe this like provides some redundancy for like getting that Sahili on the board like you know if you have it doesn't like tutor it up you still have to have it right. in your hand like so if you're gonna play it you're just gonna play Sahili uh, you right. know what I mean yeah and, and that's three mana so you're saving two mana on it and it dies right away yeah I mean I feel like this is a card that's just gonna sit there for a while and then someday there'll be a 12 CMC planeswalker with an incredible minus on it that people are gonna want to do and right then we're gonna have some weirdness with that kind of deck but that deck doesn't even that theoretical deck doesn't even sound good. So yeah, it, it takes some sort of Eldrazi Titan esque Planeswalker that you have to get in early for this to be worth it. And I think maybe that we Planeswalkers are good, but they're good because they provide the incremental value, right? And a Planeswalker coming down and doing one thing maybe is not as good as we thought it would be, or not as good yet as we want it to be. It's fair. I agree with everything y'all are saying, but if I were to reevaluate this card today, and I'm much colder on it than I was a couple of months ago. I think the card being three CMC plus an extra mana to activate it is what ultimately makes it too expensive and thus probably unplayable in modern. Because if there's a combo that wants to try this, I just sense that there's better ways to spend four mana to enable a combo. Sure. Probably true. 
Moving on, Cabal Therapist, the last rare that I got in the last Modern Horizons pack I ever opened. True story, I even held on to it. It's a creature that costs a single B for black. It's got Menace. It's a 1-1. Is that correct? Yeah. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you may sacrifice a creature. When you do, choose a non-land card name. Then, target player reveals their hand and discards all cards with that name. And if you may recall, this was the first card next to Sarah Ascendant that they announced with the release of Modern Horizons. So this was just kind of our sneak peek into this set. And we did say that because they showed it right away, or I said this, because they showed it right away, surely they believe must be powerful. And surely we must be overlooking something or not seeing some sort of hidden interaction. And please stop calling me surely. (laughs) And they, they totally, they even called it like this is one of the top 10 most powerful cards in the set. Yeah, like Matt Nass and Cass were like had a great reaction shot to it, and looking at it now, it's like this is top ten most powerful. Come on! I mean, we all thought it was like interesting. Like we gave it believes, and I think even like a sleep. But we we identified the general weakness of the card, and then it's just too slow. Like you know, at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, so like you can't even use it to like the beginning of your second turn and then you can't you couldn't even have cast like a thought seize or an inquisition to have seen their hand before you're doing that so like you're, the, the first turn you're really able to use it powerfully is like on turn three so one of the tensions that i think i've assessed since this card has been around is that it kind of wants to be in a deck with both creatures and other discard effects Right, right. To to me, like I I look at a card like this as something that pairs really nicely with Thoughtseize or Inquisition of Kozilek, but also wants to ideally capitalize on death triggers. And when you're devoting slots to attention point, at least as attention point today, you're not doing either of those effects particularly well. It's just too much setup. Like it's just too much setup for like not enough payoff. You have to have a certain number of cards in your hand to like really get value from it. You have to have creatures on the board hopefully not just it so it's just like what are you doing with this card is the payoff really there and i sort of have a bonus point here where modern is such a wide open format and pros complain about that and so many decks are really viable that going in blind you can't really name a card reliably with this and it's really hard to work and like even something like chalice on one or two can be a big gamble and like not knowing it's going to work out but naming a specific card modern has so many playable decks like the other category is the biggest all the time right so, so here's my take, because I actually still have some hopes and some lingering beliefs. Would you call them dreams? Maybe. And I wonder if we're perhaps looking at this card from the wrong direction. And the thought that had crossed my mind... West was, or south? Well, maybe it's east, because... <gasps> you know, I wonder if maybe this will end up in a deck where you're targeting yourself. Whoa. Wow. You know, where you're targeting okay. yourself to force yourself to discard a bunch of cards, such as Arclight Phoenix or something else for Unearth. Mm, pretty I mean, heavy. Hmm. Mic drop. And a deck like redundant with Merchant, like you run four of these and four Merchant in the Veil, because <laughs> those are the best <laughs> enablers that there are right now for Scalamental. I mean, yeah. Let's go. It's certainly a different way to use it. Sure. And that you have way more control over. So could be it'd be god i love getting some some unanimous woes yeah for my co-host that's that's when uh, i know i'm secretly the smart one it's true wait wait what secretly <laughs> it's not a secret smart anymore one? stan all right shane take us out let's get the last card all right 
Last card we'll talk about in this bonus episode is one of the ones that I was high on, uh, we all were high on, um, is Unsettled Mariner. White and a blue for a creature shapeshifter 2-2 changeling. This card is every creature type. Whenever you or a permanent you control becomes a target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one generic mana. We were all so high on this card. Um, you know, and ultimately I think it's just kind of fine. Like it's, you know, it comes in and out of decks. It's not really a staple anywhere that I know of. You might see two or so sprinkled into like blue white spirits or five color humans. I think when you're just comparing this with something like Thalia, it just, which, which presents like a universal taxing effect, it might just not be good enough. Like you combine that with the blue white versus just the white, the casting cost, it, it presents that the deck building restrictions on top of it. So it's just like maybe not doing enough even though it seems like it's doing so much. I just feel like decks like this are just jam-packed with cards. Yes. And so having room for a, a redundant like protection effect like this was just has just turned out to not be worth it. And that's hand-in-hand hand a little bit with the fact that this style of deck is a little bit on the wane at, at moment. You know, your spirits, your humans are a little bit smaller in meta share, so there might not just not be that much innovation going on in the deck list right now. So we'll see. It feels like it's still a powerful card, but maybe it's just not the right time and maybe it's never going to be a four of i agree it still feels like a powerful card and it almost feels like extra copies of thalia even though what it's doing is fundamentally different i like the idea of being able to have multiple thalias on the board so when you have that and this out at the same time for mid-range or control players who are casting a lot of targeted spells that's a big problem that you have to overcome yeah i feel like if it's hard some ways too though because isn't uh kira great glass spinner just kind of better than this card sometimes or no i mean it can be it has a higher cmc but then without the blue and the white restrictions so i mean there's certain things there i mean that's why it was running merfolk for instance you know kira was but it's always a two for one yes that's the advantage right is like kira kira really does a lot in terms of the the kind of the just the raw card value Whereas when I play Unsettled Mariner, like a lot of times it's not doing anything besides like maybe taxing a single spell and I didn't really get much value out of it at all. Um, And I think something like Thalia, even though that frequently does happen with that play pattern, what the taxing effect being on on, non-creature spells is just so powerful in shutting down a myriad of strategies, whereas that's not always the case with Unsettled Mariner. I think that's great. Too optimistic on that last one. So until next week, be less optimistic. <laughs> so after we wrap up uh, these, this card reevaluation, I think we just want to stop for a second and ask what our takeaways are from doing this kind of reevaluation. And what I learned this one or was reminded of is pay attention to reduction in casting cost on cards that might seem innocuous. So a card that goes from two to one, that's the that's the big thing that really matters Generally, if it has a powerful effect, if it happens to draw a card, you should definitely pay attention to it and really question yourself to see if it has a home somewhere. Yeah, the big one for me is to start looking at old houses and not just looking for new homes. And I think part of that has to do with my own tendency and the tendency of modern players to kind of look for the next big thing, the next new thing. But something that Renan Six and you know other cards that have emerged since then have kind of re- revealed to me is seeing 
old strategies that used to be very strong get updates in their colors might be enough to bring something back because it was good enough then for a reason. Yeah, I'm going to use yours, Stan, which is look at a card ceiling rather than focus on the floor. Because I think oftentimes the ceiling can be high enough that it's uh, worth running a card in a shell that might be you know not necessarily tier one, but certainly shows up in you know every deck dump. Right. I, I think there's a sort of heuristic where it's evaluating card by its ceiling is bad, but that is only because sometimes the ceiling is not reachable very often or hard to get to. So if the card ceiling is actually something you can do consistently or pretty easily, maybe it's worth taking that ceiling into consideration more often. Yeah, just, just look at the room. Like maybe it's not the floor or the ceiling. It's just the room it's in most of the time. You're tearing me apart, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi. This is why I always carry a tape measure so I can get some dimensions on the walls. Friends, another bonus episode in the bag. Wouldn't be October without one. Contractually obligated. Trick or treat. I put a bonus episode in your bag. That doesn't rhyme at all. That wraps up this week's show. Thanks again to our patrons who made this possible. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word. You can email us thedivedown at gmail.com. Heck, you can even keep in touch with us on Instagram at instagram.com slash the dive down, all one word there as well. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon, where joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel. If you go up a tier, you can get some tokens if you go up a tier you can get some foil dive down copies signed by the co-host some play mats speculate now we got play mats we've got keg taps in the works <laughs> i understand we have temporary tattoos as well yeah and they are life-size and they're all our what, faces. It was <laughs> full back piece <laughs> yeah also, you can support the show by signing up for manatraders.com, where you get to rent cards for Magic Online or in paper, whether you play Modern, whether you're testing out Frontier, Standard. Whether you're a pioneer on the new Frontier. Listen, I'm going to call Pioneer Frontier by accident, I think, forever. So I'm, I'm apologizing <laughs> in advance both to my co-hosts and the listeners. Please keep correcting me. I will try to improve, but it's like a <laughs> mental block that I can't seem to get over. Really, the, the lesson there is don't forget manatraders.com just because I misspoke <laughs> while talking about it. Use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, to get 10% off your first three months of Manatrader service. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and scrutinize Modern Horizons! just so brutal for anything that's not obscenely blue like you know 22 blue sources blue if you want to be casting this on turn three is that derby, yeah, derby. well because he's been in that recording the entire I know, time I know. Then. <laughs> derby come here bud come here send papa's lap <laughs> your your eyes look terrifying when you do that stan come here right. kitten <laughs>
<laughs> I don't love it. <laughs> so, you know, I'll again mention that like blue white control around something like. <laughs> <laughs> he was good the whole episode up until now. <laughs>